This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello everyone and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the executive director of Healthcare Voter, but I'm also uh, someone with with firsthand knowledge of the American healthcare because about five years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I went through the whole treatment process with uh, surprise medical bills, uh, insurance hassles, and more. So this show... We are here to answer your health insurance and healthcare questions and get you uh, good advice you can use in your own life. So please call or text in your questions and we will get you answers in future shows. And to start us off, uh, let's talk about what's going on right now with Medicare, open enrollment. Uh, Who's eligible? Uh, When does it end? And what do you need to do to keep your uh, Medicare insurance plan or change it? Or do you have to do anything at all? Uh, To answer those questions, welcome Diane Archer from Just Care. Thanks so much, Laura. So it's a really big time of year for people with Medicare because a lot could change for you next year. And you have the ability to switch your Medicare plans uh, until December 7th of 2022 uh, to get a new plan beginning January 1. Uh, If you're in traditional Medicare, you're set if you want to stay there. Nothing will change. Your premiums actually, um, your Part B premium goes down a little. Uh, Your supplemental coverage will stay relatively the same, Uh, but you should be looking at your prescription drug options because even if you're happy with your prescription drug coverage under Medicare Part D today, it could change dramatically beginning in 2020. Uh, You could pay a lot more. The drugs that are currently covered may not be covered. It's kind of crazy, but Medicare Part D plans can change their coverage and their cost sharing requirements uh, every year um, and even throughout the year. But now is your chance to move to a different plan that may save you money. So definitely, if you're in traditional Medicare, you want to look at your prescription drug plan options and make sure that you're in a plan that is best suited uh, to meet your prescription drug needs. If you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, it's a whole different story. Everything can change, including the prescription drug coverage, but also your out-of-pocket costs, your deductibles, your co-pays, and uh, the benefits that you're getting. A lot of people believe that when they sign up for Medicare Advantage and they're told that they're getting all the same benefits as you would get in regular Medicare uh, and some additional ones. But the reality is the benefits are actually quite different because each Medicare plan has its own way of deciding when care is medically necessary and uh, when what hoops you need to go through in order for your care to be approved. Each Medicare plan also has its own network of doctors. And if you are going out of that network, you'll have to pay out of pocket for often all of your care or at least some of your care. Sorry about the background noise right now. 
Um, so you really want to look at that as well. Um, are the doctors you want to see, is the hospital you want to use in your plan network next year? Um, and again, even if you're happy with your Medicare, uh, Medicare Advantage plan today, it may change dramatically in three. Finally, you want to look at out-of-pocket caps in your Medicare Advantage plan. They can be as high as $8,300 uh, for the year for in-network care alone in 2023. Uh, so you may want to look at a plan that has a lower out-of-pocket limit to limit your out-of-pocket expenses should you need a lot of health care. And then, of course, there are the additional benefits that some Medicare Advantage plans offer. Don't be misled by the advertising. They'll often suggest that they're going to pay for vision care and hearing care and dental care. And they might, but usually it's only just a small piece of that care. So don't be seduced into joining a plan because they say they're offering this benefit. Check to see how much coverage you're actually going to get. But all of these things will help you save a lot of money. And finally, if you're overwhelmed by all these options, you should um, know that, that there's free help uh, through your state health insurance assistance program. Thank you, Diane. And this isn't just time for uh, Medicare open enrollment, but it's also time for the Affordable Care Act open enrollment. So to talk more about that, welcome Zoid Finch from Health Sherpa to talk about who's eligible for insurance through the Affordable Care Act, uh, when does open enrollment end, and what do you need to do to sign up or uh, keep your existing plan? Welcome, Zoid. Thank you, Laura. So it is currently um, open enrollment for ACA plans. That means that anyone who is eligible can enroll in health insurance through the marketplace. You don't need any sort of qualifying life event. It also means that if you are already enrolled, this is your time to update your application and choose your plan for next year. So folks who are eligible, um, if you live in a U.S. state, and you are either a citizen or have um, a qualifying immigration status, which you can find the list of those on healthcare.gov. Um, and then depending on your income and if you are offered any other um, coverage, you may also be eligible for um, savings on your plan. Um, so like Diane was saying, that even if you are happy with your current plan in the ACA, um, it's always a good idea to go in, make sure all of your information is up to date and actively shop for the different plans. Same as it is in Medicare, provider networks can change, the drug formulary can change, prices can change, and sometimes that plan that you're currently in may not be available next year at all, in which case um, if you don't go and pick a plan, you'll be crosswalked into a similar plan, um, but it may or may not be what you need. Um, so um, especially because we do have a couple carriers um, that have left the market completely or have left different counties. It's a really good idea to go in and check on your plan. Um, open enrollment is running from um, up until January 15th. However, if you want coverage that starts January 1st, you need to enroll by December 15th. Um, then if you enroll between December 16th, um, and January 15th, you will get a February 1st start date. And part of that is to help the folks who forget to go in and actively choose a plan and then are crosswalked into a different plan that 
automatically renews, they now have that extra month to check on that coverage and switch to a different plan if they want. Um, but if you want good coverage starting January 1st that works for you, make sure to enroll by December 15th. You can go to our website, HealthSherpa or healthcare.gov to fill out an application and see what you're eligible for. Um, both us and healthcare.gov have call centers if you'd prefer to work with someone over the phone. And if you want in-person help, um, you can look for agents or assisters in your area. There's a section on healthcare.gov called Find Local Help um, that can connect you with agents or assisters, whichever you would prefer. Thanks. And uh, just to clarify, working with an assister doesn't cost you anything, right? That help is free? Yes, working with a sister doesn't cost you anything, and working with most agents also does not cost you anything. Um, the main difference is that agents can earn commission on the plan, um, and um, but they are able to make actual plan recommendations, whereas an assister will mostly be able to help you with the application and explaining what your eligibility means and what your next steps are, but they can't make any plan recommendations. Okay, but the commission happens on the back end. So if you're getting right. health insurance, it doesn't cost you any extra. That's right. Great. Uh, and our next, go ahead, Diane. Uh, I just wanted to throw in on the um, on the agents that the agents for Medicare are paid a lot more to steer you to a Medicare Advantage plan than to traditional Medicare. So beware of agents suggesting that a Medicare Advantage plan is better for you. Um, you need to do your own homework and trust your own judgment. Thanks. And our next question is from Earl, who says that uh, I'm disabled and worked for the state. I have Medicare and uh, the state insurance plan. Do I need to do anything during open enrollment? Diane? Great question. And the answer is, if you have traditional Medicare and you're working for the state, uh, you probably don't need to do anything if you're state coverage fills the gaps in traditional Medicare and covers your prescription drugs uh, because traditional Medicare will not really change um, next year and you're set. But if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan and then you have state supplemental coverage, you really should talk uh, to the state about or learn whether that the state is supplementing only one Medicare Advantage plans or multiple Medicare Advantage plans, because if, if it's offering a supplement to several different ones, you will probably want to look at what your options are for next year, because what you have today could easily be different from what you think it is in 2020. Great. And our next question is from Theodore, who asks, why are the Affordable Care Act plans so bad? High deductibles and uh, coinsurance in the plans don't cover much. Uh, Zoid, can you talk about the different ACA plans? You're muted. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Uh, so this is a kind of a deceptively complicated question. Um, I want to start off with not to minimize the fact that there are a lot of ACA plans that do not work, but they are certainly better than the plans that were available prior to the ACA. They are an improvement. It might not always feel like that, but before the ACA, um, plans didn't have to cover pre-existing conditions. Um, there wasn't, you know, this the nice list of essential health benefits that all the plans had to cover. There weren't limits on cost sharing. Um, and so it was quite the Wild West. It is certainly an improvement for that, but you're right. There are many plans with very high deductibles, particularly the bronze plans. 
Um, as you go up in price, there are different metal levels. There's bronze, silver, gold. As you go up into silver and gold, some areas even have platinum. Um, you'll have higher premiums, but lower um, deductibles. Um, and it also, the plans can be better depending on your income level. So if you are in a lower income category, you may also be eligible for cost sharing reductions. Um, we're all fairly familiar with the tax credit, which is what lowers the premium. But for some income levels, there's also cost sharing reductions. So if you get a silver plan when you're in that income level, that will lower your deductible, your maximum out of pocket and your co-pays. Um, and there's kind of different levels to that as well. So depending on your income level, you can actually get a very good plan for, in some cases, no money per month. Um, so you have a zero premium, it's entirely covered by your tax credit, and you could have, you know, a maximum out of pocket that's even as low as like $900 for the whole year, which is great. Um, of course, that doesn't help everyone at every income level. Um, this was never meant to be a permanent solution. Um, you know, this was a stepping stone to get more people covered, especially folks who don't have access to affordable employer coverage, um, which is usually, if you do have access to that, going to be a better option for you than an ACA plan. Um, and there's a big fight to, to keep that employer coverage because folks tend to like it a lot. Um, but it does mean that if you know, if you're in sort of a, a higher income level, meaning like above 200% of the federal poverty line, um, you're probably looking at fairly high deductibles and higher prices. So how can somebody figure out if they're eligible for cost sharing uh, reductions or, um, you know, uh, various uh, tax credits? Yeah, so the best thing to do is always to fill out the entire application. Um, we know that that takes some time. And so if you want to try to get an idea um, on healthsherpa.com, we do allow you to run a quote. Um, healthcare.gov um, does have a quoting flow as well, though I don't think it um, it's a bit harder to find it on their homepage. <laughs> um, um, but either way, you can run a quote um, and that'll give you it's not you know exactly you know, for sure what you'd be getting, because there's lots that goes into the application, but by asking about your income and if you have access to other coverage and about, you know, the makeup of your household, it can help you figure out if you're eligible for a tax credit, for the cost sharing reductions. Um, it could even help you figure out if you're, you might be eligible for Medicaid or CHIP. And you could also see a list of the plans and their estimated prices. Um, and then from there, I always recommend still filling out an application regardless of what you see, because, you know, there's a lot of different things that could go into that. Um, for one example, if you are um, a member of a federally recognized Native American tribe, you have even more additional savings and cost sharing reductions on top of that, um, which quoters aren't typically going to screen for. Thanks. And our next question is from Marlene. Uh, they want to know, can Medicare patients be covered for transplants? Diane? Yes, Medicare covers basically all reasonable and necessary services with the exception of vision, hearing, dental, and long-term services and supports. And those are big exceptions for sure. But any transplant that is medically necessary should be covered by Medicare. Great. And now I'm excited to introduce our special guest for today's episode. 
Adam Hoyer from Protector Care to talk about what Congress can do on healthcare in the lame duck session at the end of the year, um, what just happened in the election, and what next year could look like for your healthcare. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Laura. Um, always appreciate you having me on and, and make me feel you really put the special and special guests, I think. Um, so, you know, really quickly, after coming out of a really interesting midterm election, um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of fun takeaways from it. And I also think that there's an interesting challenge coming up ahead. And foremost among it is that we're going to have a divided Congress um, in the new year, in the next, which is not great uh, for those of us who want to see some progress on a lot of priorities, especially health care. Um, but I still think that there are five things that, that we can do as, as advocates and as members of the healthcare community. Um, and I'm going to go through them really quickly. But first, I want to just kind of set the scene a little bit in that coming out of these midterm elections, you know, there's a lot to feel good about. Healthcare and drug prices were huge issues um, in a lot of important elections. Um, and a lot of members who were facing tough re-elections chose to talk about healthcare and won on that, um, which is always really encouraging. It's not always been the case that members who were in a tough election wanted to talk about healthcare. It's a very polarizing issue. Um, there's a lot of misinformation around it, but they proactively chose to. And I'm always mindful of Susan Wilds, um, who's been the forefront among the, the frontline Democrats uh, who chose to talk about health care and won a tough election. And, you know, with Democrats holding the Senate um, and with Republicans narrowly taking the House, as I said, we, we, we have a tricky and difficult landscape to navigate, but also potentially a unique opportunity. And that leads me to thing one that we can do. And that is I know we just got out of an election season, and I don't want to say that we need to focus on the next one, but I would say that we could leverage the next election because that map that's going to be created um, is one that will be catching the eye of a lot of newly elected officials. Um, and that is a thing that we can leverage since healthcare is such a prevalent issue on a lot of constituents' minds and a lot of voters' minds. Um, and I think that, you know, as I said, Democrats will retain control of the Senate. And if, um, if Raphael Warnock wins Georgia, then Democrats um, will not need both Manchin and Cinema to pass anything in the Senate. And even if he does not win, both those members, Cinema and Manchin, are up for a re-election of their own in 2024. So maybe they'll be more inclined to do something uh, additional on drug prices or insulin or both or something more on healthcare costs. Um, and I hear what you're saying through the computer screen at me right now. Um, even if Democrats can get something passed through the Senate, there is still that Republican-controlled House to block it. And obviously... It's not ideal, um, but here's where I think the interesting challenge comes into play, and that is that Republicans in the House will have, what, a, a four-seat majority, something like that, um, once the dust settles in a few uh, outstanding elections. So that gives us an opportunity to put pressure on a dozen or so moderates, maybe more, uh, who will be worried about their own prospects for getting reelected in, in 2024 uh, in a district that they will have barely won in 2022. And if we can agitate uh, enough of those moderates back home Make them feel the pressure to get something done. Uh, let them hear from their constituents um, about their own concerns on healthcare costs and, and read about it in their hometown newspaper, which I, I know for a fact almost all of them read their hometown paper, not the Washington Post or anything. Um, and if we can get enough of them to go to their leadership and say, look, we have to do something on healthcare costs and drug prices, I am getting crushed back home. That's how you get some more gains um, when leadership feels like they need to act on behalf of some of the more vulnerable members of their caucus, even when a Congress is divided. So um, maybe that's naive, but I, I, we've seen it before. I think it's doable. If nothing else, you know, we can affect some, some elections long term. 
thing too that I think we can do um, is to talk about the good that is coming because there is a lot of it that, um, especially that's passed through the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and I, I'm a firm believer that progress begets progress. If you pass a thing that does good for people and you don't talk about it, you don't let people know that it's coming and that you know good government, good policy is working. You know, it, it tends to kind of stagnate. Um, but if you talk about the good that is coming and starting on January 1, $35 caps on insulin for seniors uh, on Medicare is coming, free vaccine shots for seniors. Um, and, and a biggie among those is, is this, the shingles vaccine, which is really expensive. Um, and oh, by the way, as mentioned, we are in an extremely successful open enrollment period. Um, the big announcement last week uh, coming from the administration that new open enrollment signups on healthcare.gov are up nearly 40% compared to this same time last year. And thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, four in five people can find coverage for for under $10. Thing three that I think we can do, shifting on the other side of the spectrum, um, is there are, as ever, um, threats um, and opposition and uh, and efforts to take us back to some of the old ways of doing uh, healthcare, which are not good. And, you know, I, I think it's important not only to stay vigilant against some of these threats and attacks on healthcare, um, but it's as a maybe even use it as a uniting principle. I always saw that as a silver lining coming out of some of the 2017 repeal fights is that nothing united the healthcare community quite like a common threat. Um, and some specific ones, Braidwood versus Becerra uh, is a court case that threatens to strip away some no cost preventive services um, covered under the Affordable Care Act, like cancer screenings. Um, and that could be headed to the Supreme Court um, as early as next term in a case that's already before the Supreme Court, uh, the Tulevsky case, which threatens to end Medicaid accountability protections. As we know, it's, um, that was recently argued. That'll be decided um, uh, coming up in, in the spring and summer. Um, and, you know, as presidential primary season starts later next year, um, there will just kind of be some extreme proposals um, on top of ones we've already seen. Um, to kind of push back on and, and say, like, why there may be not good ideas. Thing four, um, you, you know, in my kind of advice heading into 23 generally, um, is to think global and act local. And, and, in, and on top of what I've already said about, you know, focusing on some of these districts and trying to get into some of their hometown papers and lifting up the voices of constituents, um, you know, a lot of the focus in the healthcare fight at large uh, will shift from D.C., out to the states um, because of that divided Congress that's that's going to exist um, in, in D.C. So, you know, I don't have time to go through all 50 state issues that are um, being taken up right now on healthcare. Hopefully, you know some of them um, in your own state. If you don't, uh, I'd, I'd I would encourage you to start there uh, because again, it's always a place where we can make some gains, make some progress, and the way to do it is um, you know to personalize and humanize our issues to to get involved. And in some of these state and local issues, you can make um, a more dramatic impact in a lot of these cases. But I would advocate for everyone to lean into to everything, whether it's state, local, federal, um, everything in a couple of years. And finally, the fifth thing I think we can do right now is, is a short term thing. Congress has this current Congress, um, which we'll call the lame duck Congress, it has until December 16. So a little less than four weeks from now. Um, to finalize legislation to avoid a government shutdown in the lame duck session that, that we're, we now find ourselves in. Um, and with that is kind of um, this Congress's last opportunity to pass some meaningful legislation. And you may have already seen some of the wish lists um, coming out of the Democratic caucus of what they'd like to see passed before they have to give up control of the House in the, in the new year. Um, and in Democratic leadership has already um, said that they're hoping um, to 
course, clinch a long-term funding deal, um, which could then serve as a vehicle for some of those other measures to hitch a ride to, including some um, healthcare proposals that have been that have been floated. Um, and there's a long list of demands and a flurry of proposals. The one priority that is up um, against a specific deadline is funding for the U.S. territories Medicaid programs. And um, I know I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but I will just say that with the territories, theirs is funded differently than it is for a lot of states, as it requires Congress to periodically re-up certain dollars that um, the federal government provides to the territories Medicaid programs. And the current rate at um, which the admin matches those territories Medicaid dollars is set to de- decrease significantly um, if Congress doesn't act by that mid-December deadline. Um, that, of course, affects Puerto Rico, uh, most notably, which is already um, looking for a lot of funding in the wake of their most recent storm. In addition, um, the White House has already mounted uh, another effort to secure about $10, $10 billion um, in pandemic relief from Congress aimed at creating new iterations of coronavirus vaccines uh, and other COVID-19 treatments. Um, and finally, um, a lot of us in the healthcare advocacy space and some of our allies in Congress uh, we're pushing hard to make uh, 12 months of postpartum Medicaid coverage mandatory and permanent for states. Um, it's, a, it's a little wonky and in the weeds, but currently over, over half the states have taken advantage of a vehicle um, in uh, the coronavirus relief bill, which made it easier to temporarily extend Medicaid benefits for a full year after birth for low-income mothers. But um, not every state has done this, um, and so uh, there's a push to... And of course, them to do so. Um, so kind of, again, priorities for Lion Duck, one, funding for the U.S. territories, Medicaid programs, two, um, funding for coronavirus vaccines and treatments, three, expanding postpartum Medicaid coverage, and also the continuous coverage uh, in Medicaid and CHIP for children. And those are just a, a few. Obviously, you know, the Congress right now and, and advocates more generally are trying to whittle down their priority list into something that's actually uh, passable in the next four weeks. So sorry, I know that was a lot, um, but obviously it's uh, it's an interesting time. It's a, a pivoting time, but there's a lot to tackle uh, and a lot of interesting challenges that, that lie ahead in the near term and in the next couple of years. Thank you for your optimism. It sounds like there's things that people can do federally as well as in their own backyard. So what would you recommend to somebody that's watching this right now and they want to work on healthcare issues in their state? Should they just start writing letters to their local paper? Uh, should they sign up for Protect Our Care's email list? What, what do you think uh, people should do? Well, of course, so I think this depends on where you live. So for me, no matter where you lo- live, the first objective is to find out, you know, what issues are at play in my state in the coming year? Are there, you know, are we considering a, an effort to expand Medicaid? Um, are, are, do we have our own drug cost provisions coming up? Are we trying to do something on, on insulin? A lot of states are floating proposals right now because they kind of see what's coming and that like DC is not going to be able to do much help for them. But on top of that, yes, I would always stay in contact with your member of Congress. I would always, always, always um, direct some letters uh, at your local publication because, again, these elected officials, that's what they pay attention to. And if they feel like they're getting heat at home, whether directly from the constituents or being written about in their local paper, it's a good way. You have a you have a louder voice than, than you realize. Absolutely. And I know I've heard that um, th- there are 11 holdout states that have ne- not expanded Medicaid. And I've heard that Florida is the last state that maybe has a path to a ballot initiative to the people of Florida voting on it. So I've heard that there are uh, advocates on the ground in Florida that are working on that. And Adam, you're in Florida. Do you have anything to add? 
<laughs> it's totally right. And I, I forget now if uh, Medicaid, I think it's seven for seven or maybe eight for eight. Every time that uh, there's been a push to put it on the ballot and put it to a vote, it has passed and has expanded most recently in South Dakota. So, yes, I think I think Florida may be the last one that has yet to do that. So um, here, if you're in Florida and, and my home state and my current state, um, yes, that's going to be uh, our next objective. But we can get Medicaid expansion on the ballot here in Florida. I am confident that it will pass. So, yeah, thanks for teeing that one up, Flora. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for uh, being with us today on Care Talk. Please keep calling or texting in your questions, and we will answer them in future episodes. And again, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>